Gary. Hey, dear friends, I got a question uh, for you this morning. The question is, what are some of the most durable things in your life? The most durable things in your life. Now, if you're a hiker, you want durable hiking boots, right? If you're a traveler, you want durable luggage. If you're a chef, you want durable pots and pans, right? If you're an accountant, you want a durable computer that can handle all these Excel spreadsheets that you have to manage. Maybe the most durable thing in your life is your car. When our kids were in high school, we decided to purchase for them uh, as they were learning to drive and, and were, would eventually drive themselves to school throughout high school. We bought this uh, late model Volvo, uh, one of those boxy types Volvos. It was beautiful. Uh, I thought it was beautiful. Um, and, you know, it has four doors and it was basically indestructible. They could drive it all over the place. And they learned to drive in it. We made sure it had good tires and good brakes, and the rest of it was up to them. And they drove that thing back and forth to the beach, to school, to church, everywhere. It was so dependable. It was so durable. And it was great. And it lasted those, uh, those four years. Each of them went through high school. Durability is important. Durability sometimes comes to us... Um, in other ways in our lives. Maybe it's through relationships. Maybe it's through the compassion that we have towards a child, a kindness, a love between a husband and a wife, the compassion for a child. Whatever it is, durable has made um, this relationship or this time durable, and they can weather the seasons, weather the changes, weather the challenges. Today we embark on a new series uh, titled, The Living Joyfully Together. And this series comes out, it's a theme that naturally flows out of the letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the first century church in Philippi. Joy is the central theme, and joy is durable. It's a durable attribute that sustains Paul throughout his ministry with the Philippian church. And so throughout the letter, he repeatedly writes about the joy that he has in them and the joy that he receives, the profound sense of joy that he has for them. But there's the odd thing. When he's writing this letter, he's not in the most joyful circumstance. He's in prison. We're not sure exactly where he is in prison, but from the letters that we read, uh, that he kind of gives us a, some clues that he is in some Roman prisons, the imperial guard has him, and he might even be chained to a Roman guard. So the question comes, how can he maintain this joy that he repeatedly talks about throughout the letter under the current circumstances that he faces. How is it that Paul's joy is so durable? It doesn't wear thin, it doesn't break down, as he himself sits in a prison with no court date and no chance of release anytime soon. What makes his joy so durable? And friends, I think the answer to that is so urgently contemporary in our life today.
There's a message that we all need to hear, desperately need to hear, just as much as they needed to hear it in the first century. So here out of Philippians chapter 1, the first 11 verses as Paul writes the first century church. You can follow along in your own personal Bibles or in the sheet of paper that you have in front of you that I have in the bulletin. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Isn't that interesting? He calls everybody a saint. How many times have you been walking around with your friends and your life group and your Bible study? Hey, you're a saint. Hey, saint. How's it going, saint? We kind of, that word, we kind of, wait a minute. Isn't that kind of, you know, somebody who lived a long, long time ago and they did some miraculous things and the Pope says you're a saint. Paul kind of expands that. Many of our translations just say believers. Paul says saints. He looks upon them as saints, along with the bishops and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing the gospel. That word sharing is better translated partnership. Or our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident of this. That the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you. Because... You hold me in your heart. Some translations say, I hold you in my heart. For all of you share or partners in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. When Paul says compassion there, he speaks as one who truly understands the compassion of Christ in his life. You may remember when he was, before he had met Christ on that road to Damascus, he was breathing threats against the church. He was the one who was standing there holding the cloaks of those who have picked up stones and sticks and whatever and throwing them at the first deacon, Stephen. And there he is approving this. And then on this road to Damascus, he experiences the compassion of Christ. Jesus says, hey, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's interesting when he says, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? When he's persecuting the church, the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. When we endure persecution, the persecution of Christ. Paul experiences that compassion. Yes, he was blinded for a little time, and he did fall off his horse, but he experienced the compassion of Jesus Christ. And then he goes into a prayer. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with the knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best. Other translations say, what you, how you to de determine what really matters. What really matters really matters, is what Paul is encouraging in there. So that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, be able to stand before the Lord, forgiven, 
and set free without guilt, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, we, we repeat that phrase, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, with full confidence that as we encounter God's word, God is speaking to us. God is nurturing, opening up our hearts. Remember last week we learned about the two on the road to Emmaus, and when they didn't recognize Jesus, but Jesus opened up the word and spoke to them through the prophets. And then later these two, as uh, Dr. Mark Roberts reminded us last week, these two were saying, weren't our hearts burning within us when he opened up the word? Dear friends, when we hear God's word, we hope and we're confident that God is speaking in and to us, in and through us this morning. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. So, back to the question. What makes Paul's joy so durable that doesn't wear thin, holds strong, is steadfast? There are three things that I think come out of this passage, this prayer that he shares with them. The first is remembrance. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you or my remembrances of you from the first day until now. In Acts chapter 16, we learn about the first day that Paul encounters the church in Philippi or the Christians in Philippi. It was one Sabbath day, and he was walking down, and he found a place of prayer, and there are a, a group of women that are gathered there. They are praying, and Paul shares with them that there is a new king, one who is crucified, dead, and buried. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And through their prayer time, and as G Paul shares this gospel message with them, there's one who comes to the service and says, listen, this is an important message, and we need to start a church. And her name is Lydia, and she was a businesswoman in the, uh, the trade of purple, purple cloth, very, very expensive cloth. And so she uses her resources and establishes the first Presbyterian church of Philippi. Isn't that awesome? I don't think they call it the Presbyterian, but it sounds good, doesn't it? And they have this church that started through Philippi, in Philippi, through Lydia, as a house church. And Paul remembers that from the first day until now. Now, it wasn't always joyful. There were times that were very difficult for Paul and Silas. One day they are walking through the streets and there was this person that had a spirit, we're told, a spirit of divination. It was a slave girl and she could read fortunes. And she brought a lot of wealth to her owners. And Paul turns and heals her from this. And she becomes right in her mind and well and healed. But her owners... See, their prophets evaporate, and they throw Paul and Silas in prison. And yet, Paul's joy is durable because of the remembrances that he has of the church in Philippi. When you're in prison in the first century, it was very difficult. You had to have outside help if you were going to have food or resources to survive. 
And so there's Timothy. Timothy sent by the church in Philippi. Timothy who would help provide resources for Paul as he's in prison. Remembrances. Paul finds durable joy through remembrances. We studied that word remember, I think last October when we were studying the the 10 key Hebrew words that every church needs to know. Remembrance. Remembering how they were delivered from Egypt, God's people. Remembering how God provided for them throughout their wilderness wanderings. Remember how God brought them into the promised land. Remembering how God stayed with them even in the midst of their rebellion. Remembering God's forgiveness and grace. Remembering how God did not forget about his people. And then we also talked about how remembrance, when Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it, remember, remember me is a key word in our faith. And Paul says, in all of my remembrances of our ministry together, It brings a durable joy to Paul. So what about you? Think about your faith life. Remembrances. How do you remember God acting in and through your life? Maybe it was early on and God encountered you. And you felt God's grace in your life through whatever you were going through. Maybe it was a person. You witnessed God's work through their life. Joy grows durable through remembrances. We have many remembrances as a congregation and as a faith community. Last Easter, which is a couple weeks ago, was the 14th Easter sermon that I have shared with you. 14. We have a lot of remembrances, a lot of joy and ministry together. Things that we've done together, things that we've been challenged with, things that we've seen and how God has worked in it through mission work or just our fellowship time, dining together, seeing God work through our life groups, remembrances. Maybe you have had your child baptized up here. Maybe you were married here. There's a handful of you here. Maybe it's a place of remembrances where we have gathered together to mourn the loss of someone we love, and yet realizing God's grace and care through those moments. Remembrances. For Paul, joy grows durable through remembrances, and I think that is also true for us. The second thing he talks about is remembrances, but then he says partnership. In our translation, it says sharing in the gospel. It's partnership. It's an important word. Paul claims that they are partners, not consumers. They're partners, not bystanders. Partners, not competitors. Partners, not servants. Partners, not adversaries. They're partners. They're in this together. I have a couple friends who are in the legal field. And the other day I was asking them about, what does partnership mean when you're like a partner in a, in a, a law firm? Does it mean you get a special parking spot or is there a secret handshake, you know? I'm a partner. Hey, how's it going, you know? Um, they didn't laugh at that too much because um, it's, they take it really seriously. Yes, it, it, they're partners in the, um, the profits. 
but they're also partners in the losses. They're partners in the liabilities. And they said, you know, whatever one of our partners is doing, it has a direct effect on us, or individually. Partnership. I don't know if we can apply that, that metaphor of from the business world into our spiritual lives, a partnership. I think Paul is doing that. We're partners in ministry, he says. Partners in all the things that we're doing together. Paul claims that his joy grows durable through partnership. What one partner does has a direct impact on the other partners. As one of us suffers, we all suffer. As we think about our partnerships throughout the world, our mission partnerships in Syria and Lebanon, our local partnerships here, as they thrive and as they reach out in God's grace and love, we participate in that as well. And we can take great joy in how our partners are working. Great joy, of durable joy. He says they're partners in two respects, partners in grace and partners in the gospel, partners in the message of Jesus Christ. When someone gives their life over to Christ and is transformed, we're partners in that, and partners in the grace of God's grace of forgiveness as we lead others into that. We're not partners in crime. We're not partners in pain or anxiety, anxiety and fear. No, we are partners in grace and in the gospel. And that strengthens our joy and makes joy durable. Third, the joy Paul has is durable because of the confident hope. The confident hope that they share. He says, I'm confident of this, that what God started what God started in you, he will finish. What God starts in their lives, what God started when they're praying together along that riverbank early on, praying together on that Sabbath when Lydia offered her home, what God started and the resources that they shared, the talent to establish a church in Philippi. Paul writes to them from the prison cell, with a durable joy because of what God has started in their lives. And he remembers what God started, but he also says, I'm confident of this. What God starts, he will finish. He will bring it towards completion and in their life, and their life together. And so we hold on to that hope in our own lives. So you think about what has God started in your life? Where is God starting to bring transformation in your life? How is God leading you in certain ways to, to share, to be partners in ministry? And the great hope is that God will finish, finish the work that he started. And you think about it as a congregation, and not only in our individual lives as what God has starts in our life, but what God has started in our life together as a congregation. God has started, and so we reach out in our community. But God has started as in our campus, as we desire to finish off the buildings that we have been blessed with. 
This brings steadfast hope and durable joy. But maybe the circumstances that you face this week, the demands, the challenges, has placed your joy on shaky ground. You think about people in your life or the ones you love or, or the demands that you face at work, the challenges in some of your relationships. Maybe it's impossible to find joy right now. I think Paul would say to us, take heart. Remember God's faithfulness in your life. Think of those remembrances and how God worked in your life. Paul would remind us that we are partners. We're not going it alone. It's no, I am a rock, I am an island type of Christianity. You know, this letter that Paul writes is a personal letter to the church. But it's certainly not private. We're all reading it. That's like our faith. Yes, our faith is personal, but it's never private. It's to be shared. It's to be known. We're partners with a community of faith that is offering grace and good news to the world. Maybe that's a first step towards a durable joy. And remembering what God has started in your life, what God is nurturing in your life, He'll continue until it's completed the day of Christ. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. As you speak into our hearts, and maybe our hearts were burning within us as we heard your word. Maybe our hearts are softened to your grace and love. Maybe our hearts are open to the challenges that we face. Maybe our hearts are recognizing the compassion that you have as Paul recognized the compassion that you displayed in his life. And so God, we commit this word to you and commit our time and our week ahead of us to you, that we might glorify you in all the things that you have before us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.